Now we're about to read the Word of God, and uh, I don't know, somebody's going to have to carry me out, I think so, so I don't know if that's, you guys are going to be able to do that. I might be weighed down uh, by the glory of God and unable to move, but that's okay because that's biblical, you know, when the cloud of God's glory came into the tabernacle, it filled the whole place where they were, and it said that the priest could no longer stand to minister. So that's, that sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, if we could get to a point, you know, that's hashtag goals right there, that the glory of God would fill our church so much so that no one would even need to stand up to preach, that no one would even need to stand up to lead worship, that God and his angels would lead worship for us, and that we would receive words, uh, you know, from Jesus directly. I mean, I'm okay with that. You guys okay with that? Well, that's good because that's what Advent really is all about. Uh, the word Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, uh, which means the arrival or the welcoming. And uh, that's what Christmas is really all about. That's what Advent's all about. It's about welcoming Jesus. It's about Jesus being born again, again. How many of you guys know that every now and then we need to get born again, again? Amen? We need to come home to our first love. Amen? And I meet with a lot of people who tell me that they're always trying to get back to where they used to be with God. Um, and what they're essentially talking about is they're talking about returning to their first love. And I want you to know that first love is not about a church. Uh, it's not about a ministry. It's not about a style of music. It's about a connection with Jesus. And so oftentimes we think it's the other things, but really it's just your connection to him. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about Jesus being born afresh into our hearts, into our lives, and into our world. And so we spend the Christmas season specifically focusing on welcoming Jesus to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our life again. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I still get it wrong sometimes. Anybody else in here with me? I still fail. I still sin. I still fall short of the glory of God. I still make mistakes. And so I just want to start by saying that I need Jesus to be born again in my life in a whole new way. And I am expecting a divine surprise from heaven during this season of our church's life. That Jesus would be born afresh in a new and a powerful way where it would be all about him, him receiving the glory. And as we come into fellowship and to receive him at the table together, that we would be so filled. And from that place of infilling, we would be focused on what he's called us to do in the city of Nashville and in the nations. And I just want you guys to know that it's possible to fully focus when you get fully filled. You know, a lot of times when we lack focus and we're not sure exactly what our compass for life is, what our purpose for life is, that's simply evidence that we're not as full as God intends for us to be. I already started preaching. This is the intro to the intro. Okay, so if you guys want to start taking notes, you can. But how many of you guys just want God to fill you up in a new way during this holiday season? During this culmination of 17, you know, I don't know a lot of people uh, that 17 has just been the best. Fun, funny enough, I don't know what it's been about 17. 17's been an interesting year. It's been a year of transition. Um, for some of us, it's been a year of, of breaking. 
It's been a year where we feel that things were being pulled away from us. Uh, but I want to be honest with you. I want to take time during the Advent season to thank God for unanswered prayers. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a blessing. Even though it didn't feel like it in the moment, we'll look back in a few seasons from now and we'll be rejoicing over the things that we thought we wanted that we didn't get. Because God knows what he's doing. Can I just start by proclaiming that to you? That his providence is perfect. He knows how to lead you. He is the good shepherd. And every now and then he's got to make you to lie down. Because if it was up to us, we'd stay running around. But that's what the Advent season is all about. It's about God leading us to a place of seeing Jesus again, of acknowledging, recognizing the meekness, the gentleness, the humility of Christ, the character of the babe, the, the son of God, and recognizing that that is the pace in which God has called us to live with him. Yeah. Do you ever find it fascinating that, you know, God created man on the sixth day and then he rested on the seventh day? That means that God's seventh day and Adam's first day was a day of rest. A lot of times we think that we have to begin in the hustle. But the truth is God has designed us to start in rest. So as we're beginning the Advent season, today I want to talk a little bit about hope. And I want to ask you to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 15. We're going to read just a few verses of scripture and get going pretty quickly. But... Um, we're, we're starting a new season. This is the initiation of a new season. And I'm not just talking about a sermon series. Like, I want you guys to hear me as I speak um, in the spirit, if I could be as confident to proclaim that to you, that this is a new season for you. So nobody else is happy about that except for Lindsay. Uh, this is a new season for you. This is a new season for our church. And this is a new day for us all together. So I just, I just want us to be refreshed during this Advent season as we start again with Jesus. Romans chapter 15, I want to read verses 12 through 13 in the NIV. And I'm going to begin uh, by just, you know, giving you a little bit of context. Paul is, Paul is praying here. He's proclaiming, but he's also praying. He's talking to the church at Rome. And what he's doing is he's reminding the church of a prophecy that was given about the Messiah, everybody say Jesus, Jesus. hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. So we're going to pick up verse 12. It says, and again, Isaiah says, the root, everybody say the root. the root. That's one of the names of Jesus. That's an interesting nickname, isn't it? He was called the root. The root of Jesse will spring up, who will arise to rule over the nations. How many of you guys know that Jesus is the desire of the nations? That's also one of his names. Amen. We don't have to force feed the nations, Jesus. But he is already the desire. They may not be able to put their finger on it, but the craving of the nations is the Jesus that we know. We, we could stop and have a praise break. We're not even two verses deep. I'm just, I'm excited about Advent. The one who arise to rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles. Everybody say, that's us. Well, most of us. Some of you guys might be Jewish in here. I don't see Joel, Lindsay, so he's with the kids downstairs. He's Jewish. But in him, the Gentiles will, everybody say it with me, hope. Oh, will hope or altogether. Yeah, sorry, guys. I didn't set you up for success there. Will, everybody say it with me, hope. Hope. 
Now, verse 13 is Paul's prayer. He says, may the God of hope. See, God doesn't just bring hope. God is hope. See, it's never God's intent that we would be lacking in hope because God has filled us with himself. So there's never a reason for us to be without hope because hope, the person of hope, lives on the inside of us. He says, may the God of hope fill you. See, to be focused, you have to be filled. To be fully prepared to step into 2018, you've got to be filled. And you've got to be filled with hope for your future. Because hope is really one of those things that's all about a way of perceiving the future. And when you're filled up with God, you will have hope for tomorrow. You'll have hope for next year. You'll have hope for your next season. So Paul is praying that we would be filled with not only hope, but with all joy, with all peace, and as you trust, all trust. So that you may overflow. Now, I think this is fascinating. God doesn't want to just fill you. God wants to overflow you. How many guys know that God is always in the business of bringing more than enough? He transformed water into wine and more than enough wine. Uh, a kid approached him with the equivalent of a Long John Silver's kid's meal. And he fed the 5,000 and there were 12 basketfuls that were taken up afterward. God is a God of leftovers. He fills the doggy bag. He sends you home with something. There's so much. He doesn't want to just fill you for you, but he wants to overflow through you to Nashville and the nations. He wants to overflow through you with hope. Everybody say hope again. And, And how? It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not even in your strength. It's not even in your ability. It's not even in your behavior. It's not even in your education level. It's not the school that you went to or who laid hands on you. But it is by way of the power of the Holy Spirit that hope is going to overflow in your life. That, I feel like this is already the gospel. Amen? This is good news. Because I don't know about you guys, but I will admit freely before you that I don't have what it takes to overflow every single day in hope for the nations. But I know that the Holy Spirit does because he knows the end from the beginning. He is the alpha and the omega, the author and the finisher. Amen? And so he knows. And he's filled us. Somebody say hope. With hope. So, Father, we pray today in Jesus' name that you would fill us and that you wouldn't leave us just barely topped off, Lord, but that you would leave us, I'm going to pray a Kentucky word, uh, sopping wet with hope. <laughs> Do y'all say that in the UK, Junior? No, no, don't. <laughs> sopping wet with hope. Man, give us a heart overflowing, full of hope, Lord. What's interesting here is that as Paul is praying this, he's quoting from Isaiah 11 and 1, which says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots. There's that word root again, that shall bear fruit. Now, I want you guys to understand something right from the jump. 
And that is that Paul is not just hoping to remind the church at Rome about the heritage of Christ, but he is hoping to proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. Matthew does a great job in his gospel of outlining the heritage of Jesus. He gives us a a, a line, a lineage of DNA to prove to us that Jesus is the rightful king. He does that. And that's what Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years previous. But Paul is not just hoping to give some more evidence that Jesus is the rightful king. What Paul is hoping to do here is to show us that Jesus did not just come to save and set free the Jewish people, but that Jesus came to save and to set free the Gentile people as well. Everybody say, that's me. Which is good news because that means that Jesus literally came to save the world. Jesus came to save and to set free every single human being, every single nation, every single family, every single place. Jesus reigned supreme and he showed up to save those places and those people by his grace. And that is what Paul is proclaiming to us. He's like, hey, just in case you thought that you were the odd man out, just in case you thought that it was only for the Jews and that you had to convert in order to receive salvation, I'm proclaiming to you today the gospel church at Rome, which is that you are included in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, that's me again. You have been included. This is not a small point, which is why that we see Christmas carols like, Oh, Holy Night, proclaiming this truth, this gospel, which is what the carols do. And I don't know if you guys have recognized this or not. The carols are not just given to us, you know, to help us become nostalgic about our childhood. The carols are there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you hear carols in Target, as you hear carols in Starbucks, just know that that is God's subversive way of releasing the gospel into public spaces. I mean, you can see it on NBC all throughout Christmas season. You'll see it on ESPN. You'll see it as, as football is played. You'll see it as basketball is played, that God has a subversive way of getting his gospel to the nations. And he's done it through song. He's done it through our artists. He's done it through poets. I mean, the guy who wrote Oh Holy Night, did you guys know he was actually a, a poet who was also a wine merchant? And, and God raised him up to create this, this uh, poem called Oh Holy Night. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit to you. It says, you guys know it, but Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now get this, long lay the world in sin and error pining. That's what Isaiah is saying. That's what Isaiah is saying. He said, look... Um, for a long time, the nations have been living in error. For a long time, the peoples have been living in sin. But I'm prophesying to you about the root. Everybody say the root. Of Jesse. He's going to come and he's going to bear fruit. And he's going to deliver you from your sin and from your error. And it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, when you find God, you find yourself. You are as valuable, you are as valuable as the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross. 
And how much did he pay? He paid it all. See, the cost that Jesus paid on the cross uh, determined the value of the people that he purchased. So how valuable are you? I like that a lot. That says something to me about me. I don't have any reason to get down on myself. I am valuable. Jesus says so. I have hope. Jesus said so at the cross. I have peace. Jesus said so through his blood. I have joy. Jesus said so through his body. Or maybe I'm 22% happier than y'all this morning. But I'm doing my best to hold it together. And then he says, a thrill of hope. That's the title of my message today. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. That's what Jesus is to the weary world. He's a thrill of hope. That's what Jesus is to the sinner. He's a thrill of hope that they might be forgiven, that they can be set free, that they can be delivered, that they will be saved. That's what Jesus is to the lost. He is a thrill of hope that the lonely would be brought into family. That's what Jesus is to the outsider. That's what Jesus is to the poor. That's what Jesus is to the immigrant. That's what Jesus is to the widow. That's who Jesus is to the orphan. That they would be brought near by the blood, by the thrill of By the thrill of hope. Come on, 9 a.m. You guys help me preach this morning. So what exactly is hope? Because, you know, I know that we talk a lot about hope. And in our culture, when we say hope, it's really more doubt-filled than it is faith-filled. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, it is. Because you talk to people about an outcome, right, that you would like to see happen. And then we say things like, well, I hope so. Right? How many of you guys would acknowledge that when we say things like, I hope so, it really is more doubt-filled than faith-filled. It's, it's almost like we expect it not to go our way. So we say, I hope so, in an attempt to not get our emotions too high, not let our expectations grow too big. We sort of use, I hope so, as a mechanism of protecting ourselves from disappointment. So we go through life never allowing ourselves to really hope for fear that we would be disappointed. But that is not the biblical hope that Jesus is or that Christ died to bring. See, with the world, hope is a simple possibility. But with God, hope is a promise. In the world, hope is just a possibility. It's a possible outcome. But with God, Hope is a promise. It's an absolute outcome. It's a concrete confidence. Even when you do a word study and you look at the word hope in the New Testament, it's the Greek word elpis. And uh, I had trouble pronouncing that word. I had to look it up. Elpis, right? And it actually means a concrete confidence. It means a for sure expectation. It's like that you know that you know that you know that you know there's no doubt involved in biblical hope there is there's no maybes involved in biblical hope it is not a possibility it is a promise biblical hope is a promise and you know what's great is that Jesus is not a possible savior Jesus is our promised savior 
Jesus can't just maybe save you. It's a Jesus, it's a promise that Jesus has saved you. It's not just a possibility that Jesus might just set you free from addiction. It's a promise that Jesus will set you free from addiction. It's not just a possibility that Jesus might be able to heal your body. But it's a promise that by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus is the promised Savior. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the root. He is a sure foundation to build your hopes on. Now, what's interesting is that I've heard a lot of people say to me, if this happens, I'll die. You you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I just don't think I could take that. If, if, If that happens... I'm finished. You know what I mean? You guys ever said that before? I've said that before. I've said that. Like, if this outcome happens, if this outcome that I'm dreading, if this outcome that I'm afraid of, if that happens, life as I know it will be over. Have you ever said that before? I mean, I've said that before. And see, what what that is evidence of, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, mouth speaks, right? What that is evidence of is that we are building our hopes atop the wrong foundation because Jesus is the only secure safe foundation for us to build our hopes on but it's when we build our hopes on other things like our job or our income or our relationships or you know something that you know we wish would happen one day right when we build our life on those things it's a shaky foundation it's, it's unwise. It's building your house on the sand. It's not building your house on hope. And I'm glad that I'm in a room today full of people who are ready to build their house on hope. Not on the sand, not on the sinking shores, but on Jesus, the foundation, the hope, the root, the root, which I find so interesting because what is the root? The root is the foundation. Right. The root is where life comes from. It's where it starts. It's the foundation. We've got to build on the root. We've got to build on hope. We've got to build on Jesus. Now, roots, I mean, that's an I mean, that's a very interesting word to do a word study on. I mean, you know, the root of Jesse, you know, it's a little, you know, maybe provokes a little bit of curiosity. But we usually kind of read and run through that like, well, that's good, I guess, you know. But when I did a word study on this word, um, the word root, right, is actually used a lot in the Bible. Primarily, it's used as a metaphor. It's not, it's, it's not normally talked about in regards to farming or anything like that. It's usually used as a metaphor. And uh, I recognize that the very first time that the word for root was ever used was actually in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I find this super interesting, and I want to share it with you very quickly. Deuteronomy 29 and 18, it says, Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Now, get this. This is the first mention of this word root in the Bible. Now, in theology, if you really want to understand a word or you want to understand a concept, we have this thing where we say, the law of first mention, where you go back and you look at a time in the Bible when a word was first mentioned and you gain some perspective and some understanding of the biblical concept. Well, when the Bible begins to talk about the root, it starts with Deuteronomy 29 and 18, and it says, make sure there is no root. Everybody say root. Among you that produces such bitter poison. So the Bible here is talking about the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. Everybody say unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. 
Because that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, I want you to make sure that you don't allow a root of bitterness, that you don't allow a root of unforgiveness to, to, to spring up amongst your community. And I think it's absolutely awesome that Jesus comes not as the root of unforgiveness, but he comes as the root of absolute forgiveness. There was a root that was talked about in Deuteronomy about bitterness, but the root that Isaiah prophesies about, that Paul prays and prophesies about as well, is the root of forgiveness, is the redeeming root. It's the root of salvation. It is our hope. And when you understand this, you start to look at it and you think about it, you say, okay, wow. That's very interesting because it's impossible to have hope and be rooted in hope when we're rooted in unforgiveness. When we're rooted in bitterness, which is what the redeeming root came to pluck up and then to supplant a root of salvation and forgiveness. When our lives are rooted in bitterness, when we're unwilling to forgive people, we won't have hope for our future. When we live in unforgiveness, we won't have hope for tomorrow. When we live in bitterness, we don't have hope for 2018. When we're bitter with people, when we're withholding mercy from people, then what's actually happening is that we are living exempt of hope for tomorrow. Your hope for tomorrow is connected to your forgiveness for yesterday. And if you're unwilling to forgive the people of your past, you won't be able to access God's hope for your future. And that's what Jesus came to show us. He said, no, no, let me rip that root of bitterness right out of your heart. Let me rip that root of unforgiveness right out of your life. And let me put in a new root. It's called the root of hope. It's the root of hope. And this is a way of perceiving the future. When we look at the future, we have hope for the future. And as Paul continues on and he prays in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Joy is a way of perceiving the future. That we would believe that it's going to keep getting better. How many of you guys know the world doesn't tend to think that way? That it's going to keep getting better. That, that, that there is any joy next week. That there'll be any joy next month. That there'll be any joy in the next couple years. But see, that's what we have through hope that's what we have through Jesus is that we can step into today and we can look forward into tomorrow with hope and with joy the next thing is he says peace you guys know the world doesn't have any peace really I mean there's wars rumors of wars there's fighting there's hatred you know there's unforgiveness we have the peace because we have Jesus so we have the hope we have the peace that the world needs. We have something to offer. And then the last thing is trust. It's pretty difficult in today's world for people to trust one another. But that's what we have through hope once more. Not only do we have hope, not only do we have joy, not only do we have peace, but we also have trust. None of these things the world has, all of these things Jesus has. And all of these things he gives to us through the redeeming root of hope, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that he's freely given to us that he paid for with his own blood on the cross so that we could be filled and not just a little feeling 
you know, not just enough for your pinky toe, but like enough for your whole being, for your whole body, spirit, soul, and mind, for, for, for your, your, your physical flesh for you to be healed. Like there's enough Holy Spirit in the room today because Jesus is here to fill you with hope, reorient your future, forgive you from your past, and set you in a completely new direction. That's what Jesus came to do. And if you're here today and you've been building your life on a different foundation, if you've been building on a foundation of, well, these things are my hope. Can I tell you, and I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, those things are shaky soil. They won't provide adequate foundation for your life. But it is only the hope that is found in Jesus Christ that you can truly live from today and into tomorrow. And, and please, as I'm closing, don't just think that hope is all about the future because Jesus came for you today. Jesus came for you today. So as we're all standing in here, I want to pray and I want to create an opportunity for anyone that's here that feels like that today is your day. And I want you to know that if you're feeling that, let me confirm that today is your day. Today is the day that Jesus will be born afresh in your life. If you've been living for God for a long time, maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus before in your lifetime. I just want to create a little space right now for us to welcome Jesus into our lives again. You guys all know the Christmas story. They were looking for space. And he found no space. You know, guys, he's still looking for space. And, you know, it's not mangers he's looking for anymore. It's hearts. And why don't we just vacate the throne of our heart that we've allowed other lovers to occupy and just dismiss them today? Just give them a notice of eviction and let them know that they're trespassing on a throne that could only belong to one king, which is Jesus Christ. That we would seek to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Lord, we receive what you've done for us. We receive you coming for each and every one of us. With every eye closed and every head bowed just for a moment, if you're in here today and you just feel that today is your day and you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or for another time, for a second time, or a third time. It doesn't matter. I just want you to lift up your hand real quick. We're going to pray with you. We want to acknowledge that Jesus is saving and setting people free today. And we thank you, God, for doing what only you can do. Amazing. Awesome. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, come and fill our hearts again. We repent of our sins. And if you lifted your hand, just join me in praying this prayer. And even if you didn't, we still confess that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And we repent right now. Jesus, I repent. Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. Come and fill me. Come and live in me. Come and be my hope.
Lord, I tear down every single other thing that I've put my hope on. And I give you your space, your rightful place. Reign and rule in my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So as we're finishing, and I know that we're past time, but I would just love it if we could finish today in a posture of praise. How's that? Thanking Jesus for what he's done and just marking our week with praise, knowing that throughout this thank you Lord we bless you Lord we thank you for saving us for setting us free for being our hope you're our hope and we love you and we love you and we bless you